Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether you're streaming uh, in our website, in our YouTube page, our Facebook. We're grateful that you're here. So glad, and we believe that God has purposed you to be here with us this morning. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we are continuing uh, the second week of our series called <laughs> Asking for a Friend. Sometimes, you know, we're a little bit too shame, a little bit too shy to ask questions that are tough uh, regarding life and faith and regarding culture and how to live as the people of God and how to really stay true to be uh, genuinely uh, be biblical as Christ followers. And today we're going to have a doozy. We're going to be talking about uh, the role of, of women in ministry. And specifically, uh, this is kind of a hot topic right now, of uh, can women be pastors? So here's the main question for us this morning is, what is the role of women in ministry? What is the role of women in ministry? Are women uh, confined to uh, singing worship songs or are, they, are, are the women, um, they do ministry teaching Sunday school? Or uh, I think what's happening right now is uh, within the culture and evangelicalism especially is that can women be pastors or should women be pastors? Is there precedence in the Bible of women being pastors? And before you you know, skip ahead and say, of course, yeah, um, you know, we have women pastors all the time. And, you know, Pastor Renee, she's a pastor. Uh, we must never let our experience and our culture interpret scripture or dictate scripture. But we let scripture interpret or dictate or live out our life and our experience. And so... Uh, here is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 um, that would challenge us about the role of women in ministry. In verse 34, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for women to speak in the church. Oh, pretty harsh, yeah? So what a sexist, patriar uh, patriarchal uh, poison that uh, we think Paul is living through. But we're going to examine what that means, really. And here's another one in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this could be a pretty tough pill to swallow, um, and one of the things that we must do as responsible uh, Christians and responsible Bible study or Bible uh, readers is that we must take the whole counsel of God's Word. Because if you just take things out of context, if you take isolated events, 
uh, if you take proof texts and make your whole theology and make your whole belief system or whole paradigm uh, off just one text without considering the, the balance or the whole counsel of God's word, then we become imbalanced Christians. Then we become parochial and narrow-minded and narrow-viewed and what the whole Bible really has to say. Because if you take this you know, in just in its context or just take it as the word that it is, it just seems like, man, Paul has some mass, toxic masculinity, right? It seems like there's a patriarchal oppression that's happening. But um, we got to look at what the whole Bible says. And we got to look back from the very beginning in creation and what's God's design and here's the main point that I want us to walk away with. This principle that's in the Bible that applies both to life, uh, to family and home, but also to the church is this. Would you write this down? God's design for flourishing. Underline that. Uh, fill that in. God's design for flourishing is given both to men and women in life, at home, and in the church. And before we jump into Genesis 3, after the fall, we have to start in Genesis 1, which is God's original intent. What is God's original design for you and for me to thrive and to flourish as not only the people of God in faith, but also to thrive and flourish in marriage, as families, as people that live in our homes? And in, in creation, in Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, So God created mankind, not singular as in um, the gender male but mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them see the plural male and female he created them God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground we got to remember that this context uh, that God in the creation account that God created everything in, in six days, five days, he created everything and he created uh, man to be the crown of creation, as it were. And when God created everything so far has been good. God created the light. God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. It was good the first day. Second day, God created separation, land and sea. Good. It was good. The Hebrew word is tov. Third day, tov. Fourth day, tov. Fifth day, tov. Sixth day, it was good. Uh, actually, when it came to you and me, it says tov, tov. Very good. Very good that I created mankind, male and female, in my image. But in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we see that um, it's the first time in history where something is not good. You know what that instance was? When Adam was alone, when Adam was not in fellowship, 
when mankind or man was not in relationship, when man did not have a partner that was suitable, that came from his rib, came from his flesh to, uh, to partner together with. And what's referred to here in Genesis 1, 26-27, this is called the cultural mandate. Meaning this is the mandate designed by God for both man and for women. He blessed them. He told them, be fruitful and multiply. To multiply. To subdue the earth. To bring um, order from chaos. To uh, fill the earth and to have children. And to exercise dominion and authority over the earth. And it's just not man that God referred that to. It is who? To the woman as well. And I think if you start with that right framework of God's original design for us to thrive, for us to flourish, and to quote-unquote live our best life now, it starts with both the man and the woman in partnership walking with God. Um, this whole idea that a woman is there not, you know, to be a slave or just a little side gig or a little addendum, as it were, that she's just uh, kind of like a, 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 bat, a Robin to Adam's Batman. That's not true because from the very beginning, the, the address to both man and woman is to, uh, this cultural mandate is to flourish and to thrive Women are not an afterthought. They are essential. They are indispensable to the mission of what God wants to do here on earth. And if you look at the role of women in the Bible, okay? Let's look at the women in the Old Testament. Miriam was called a prophetess in Exodus chapter 15 verse 20. Also in Micah chapter 6 verse 4, she was one of the three main leaders that was sent before Israel by God to, ta to, to take the people out of Egypt. Deborah, she was a judge. She executed with wisdom, with righteousness. And in fact, during her reign, she, she had authority to make decisions um, in behalf of people if they had disputes or not. And uh, Deborah... In her reign, it was 40 years of, of peace, of undisturbed peace under her reign. So she was very capable. And even in the Old Testament, where we think of toxic masculinity and we think of patriarchal oppression, uh, Deborah was a judge. Uh, Miriam was a prophetess. There's Huldah, the prophetess, who prophesied to the high priest and King Josiah in 2 Kings 22, verses 14 to 20. We have Esther who used her royal influence to deliver the Jews from genocide. Now, if that's the Old Testament, how were women functioning in the New Testament? Well, uh, Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, were fellow workers with Paul in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 26. Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they actually... Um, co-taught, they were co-teaching team, and they actually led Apollos, who had a fear of God, but not in the spirit of God. And it says Apollos was a man of persuasion, mi mighty in words. 
and he would debate out in the in the agora in the public with philosophers but even apollos was lacking and guess who was there to help supplement guess who was there to show him even a greater way priscilla a woman and her husband um aquila and it's pretty interesting because usually and it's very intentional I, luke remember luke is a physician so he's very precise uh, usually you don't put the woman first and the man but in this instance aquila or uh, priscilla was such um, a anointed a teacher of god's word that uh, luke would mention her first um, in acts chapter 21 philip's daughters they were called as prophetesses in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, Paul um, greets the churches in, and the leaders in Rome, and he quotes Junia or Junia as part of the apostles. You guys catch that? That there were women apostles that Paul commended. Hey, Junia, Junia, commend her, send her my greetings. And also in Romans 16, verse 2, Phoebe was a deaconess at Centuria. And so we have women as prophetesses in the Old Testament, women as judges in places of authority, of teaching. In the New Testament, you had women as uh, apostles. You had women as um, deaconesses. You had women as fellow workers along with Paul. And Paul commended them in the book of Acts and also in Romans 16. He greets them. And women were prophetesses in the New Testament as well. And Paul commended them. There's a consistent design by God which started in creation. It carried out through generations from Genesis all the way through the Gospels and to the end to Revelation that women were used in positions of influence and leadership and authority. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus brought about the new creation. See, the old ways uh, promise in Joel chapter 2, it says, And afterward, verse 28, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will what? prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions even on my servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days see men and women were counterparts and we see the fulfillment of this in acts chapter 2 where the apostles and the 70 they were praying in the upper room along with the women where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all people. There's no, Roman Galatians 3 says, there's no, therefore now, Jews nor Greeks, nor men or women, because this, the kingdom of this age, the kingdom of God, this age of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the new creation or the new covenant, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on both genders on male and female, on sons and daughters, the young and the old. See, there's no place in the church for biased treatment based on people's economic standing, their political persuasion, persuasion, their racial heritage, their religious upbringing or physical age. 
and neither should there be any discrimination on the basis of gender. The qualification of ministry is not gender, but surrender, Daniel Brown says. Let me repeat that. The qualification for ministry is not gender, but surrender. And it basically boils down to two schools of thought. Okay, I'm going to introduce two uh, terms. The first is complementarianism or being a complementarian. Complementarian convictions or complementarian beliefs. And the second is egalitarianism. Okay, uh, so complementarian, it's not, it's spelled with an E, complement, not complement. Um, com- to compliment someone is to say nice things. If you're a Filipino, it's like, whoo, oh, auntie, I like your uh, Louis Vuitton bag. It's very nice, right? That's to compliment. But complement means that um, it's to make something perfect. It's either two parts or two things needed to make the whole thing whole and their counterparts. Now you're like, hey, uh, Pastor John, um, wow, that complementarian, these are man-made doctrines, man-made words. I don't see complementarian in my Bible. Well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible either, but it speaks of the biblical reality and biblical expression of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Three persons, one God. In the same way, complementarian, um, complementarianism, it speaks of the reality that God created male and female in His image, in His likeness, with the same value and dignity and worth and personhood. In the image, imago Dei, in the image of God, He made them. About 25 years ago, this word uh, complementarian came about because there was uh, this kind of Christian feminism that kind of started rising up within the evangelical church. And what they uh, proposed was this thing, uh, teaching called egalitarianism. It's from the Latin root word egal, equal, right? Equal, that... Equality in all things, equality in authority, equality in responsibility between the genders. Now, I'm just making a very broad blanket statement here, okay? Between complementarian and between egalitarian, there are kind of spectrums or their slides, extreme right, right? And, and then in complementarian, there's also moderate complementarian and and conservative, even in egalitarian, there's extreme egalitarian and kind of moderate or too little egalitarian. And what it basically boils down to is that um, complementarianism is going to say, hey, men and women are created in God's image, in value and dignity and worth, but... They've been given with specific roles by God for the flourishing of human life here on earth, both at church and at homes. We're equal the same in value and worth and personhood and dignity and importance before God, 
but we have different roles and we have different responsibilities. But a complementarian or but an egalitarian would say, no, 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 it doesn't really matter. Yes, men are women, men and women are created in the image of God, but it doesn't matter what the role or the gender is. There are no roles. There is no headship in, in that because we're all equal. So egalitarians, they would believe that there's no real difference between men and women in regards to leadership at, at home or at church. Um, everything is available to both sexes. Everything is designed for both sexes. Uh, roles and responsibilities, those are just social construct. There's no such thing because we're all equal in everything. And as uh, New Hope Community Church, um, our stance is that we are a complementarian. We're made in God's image, man and woman. But we, we have value, equal value and worth and dignity and personhood and respect. But um, we have different roles and different responsibilities. And so um, before I, I wrap this up, um, because we see a consistency from the Old Testament down to the New Testament. Even Paul, he commands women as apostles, as teachers, as Bible teachers, as deaconesses, as workers or servants of the Lord. Um, and I want to be centrist here. Um, and you know, this is not from the Lord. This is from me, just like Paul in 1 Corinthians says, hey, I prefer, this is not from the Lord. This is from me, but I prefer that if you guys could remain single, stay single because your work would be dedicated to the Lord. But if you're married, your uh, responsibility and your desire will be to for your spouse. And I believe... Um, this is just my personal opinion here. I believe I back this up through scripture is that yes, women are um, anointed. Women are positioned and empowered to have influence and to, to be ministers and to be pastors. Uh, but I, I just don't see how um, women can be senior pastors and head pastors over a church just because there is a sense, even in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yes, they're one, one God, there's three persons, but the, both the Spirit and the Son submit to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, Paul says that, hey, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, because um, Christ is the head of the church, and we are to, as the church, we're to submit Yes, we are to submit ourselves to one another, but submit to, as a church, we're to submit to Christ. Because Christ is the, the Greek word, this kephale or kephale, um, which means headship. Over a hundred instances, extra biblical literature, uh, outside of the Bible, in the Bible itself, kephale or head means uh, headship. It doesn't mean uh, source. And so with that, I want to uh, wrap this up. And you know those two verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 14? Um, I want to bring uh, 
a meaning to that, okay? Because remember, three things, okay? Context plus content equals meaning. You have to understand the context, you have to understand what's before, after, what's happening. You have to know what's being said so that you could find the meaning. So in 1 Corinthians 14, let's go revisit that again. In verse 33, it says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregation of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. So what is the context and what is the meaning of this then? Paul, is he's not, it's not that he is... Um, censoring women in the church. It's just uh, before that, he talks about, hey, if you're going to speak in tongues, make sure that there's order. Make sure that there's uh, the tongues, that there's a prophecy and there's an interpretation. So what Paul is saying here basically is that I want the men to lift up holy hands. It's not the usual thing for you to do because men work with their hands, but to lift it up uh, before God. I want women, hey, just... Be silent uh, for now while there's church service happening. If, you're, if they're speaking in tongues, just make sure there's an interpretation because God is a God of order. So basically all that to say is that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is speaking about disorderliness within the church. Because as I've, we've gone through before, we said... Paul from the God himself uses women in positions of, of ministry and influence of teaching and preaching right but in 1 Corinthians 14 he says hey uh, just so that there's order don't uh, just blurt out questions and assert you know don't interrupt but just ask your husbands and be uh, be silent Okay, now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we talked about hey, women are to be silent. They're, I do not permit a man to have authority, a woman to have authority over a man. What is Paul referring to here? Well, I think a, a clue is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, they, meaning the false teachers, are the kind who worm their way into homes. They gain control over gullible women who are loaded with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never being able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the, the purpose and the occasion why Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, he says, I want you guys to stay in Ephesus, Timothy, because there's a bunch of false teachers. So apparently, these false teachers, they would target um, women and specifically i think widows who had lots of money who, whose husbands have passed away who have a lot of influence and because they had money um, be, um, they would be influential and these false teachers would poison them and and give them false teaching they they would worm their way into the home they would control these women and begin to infiltrate the, the little yeast or the leaven of false teaching. That's why Paul says, you know what? I do not permit a woman to speak at this time right now. I believe what Paul is saying because consistently um, women have been used by God to be in ministry. 
as we bring this to a close, um, New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright says that all Christian ministry flows from the declaration that the crucified Savior is risen. In other words, women, they were given the most important and entrusted with the most and sacred news to tell, which is that Christ is risen. And it's just like the kingdom of God, where you guys know when the birth announcement in the gospel of Luke that the Messiah was going to be born, who did the angels entrust to tell everybody? The shepherds. Remember the shepherds? They were uneducated. They would spend weeks and months and seasons out in the field. They were dirty. They were considered unreliable. In fact, uh, shepherds weren't considered as viable witnesses in a court of law in the in New Testament times. But they were entrusted to proclaim the birth of Jesus. And But the most important, 1 Corinthians 15, is the resurrection of Christ. And who did Jesus, who did God entrust in His wisdom, in His might, to proclaim that Christ is risen? Women. To go tell John, hey, tell Peter, Jesus is risen. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And so, Lord, I <clears throat> ask right now that you would bring clarity, that you would bring um, peace into our minds. Lord, may we always turn back to the Bible. May we always go back to the book. May we always go back, Lord, to the inspired word of God to navigate through life, that we would never um, let... Uh, scriptures be interpreted by by our own experience, by our own uh, wisdom, by our own understanding, O oh Lord God. But Lord, I pray that Scripture and the Bible and Your Word would interpret our experience. It would interpret our lives, Lord, and how we uh, live and navigate life. We thank You, Lord, that uh, Your Word, Lord, is the final uh, authority for faith and practice. And uh, you reveal yourself fully through your word. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all right, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, next week is Father's Day. We have uh, a very special video tribute to all of our amazing dads. We'll have a gift for our dads as well. So make sure to join us uh, 5 p.m. Sunday at the Academy Learning Hub or join us online 7.30 and 9.30 in our different platforms. We love you. Have an amazing week. Take care.